Well, good morning, City Light. Um, yes, somebody's feeling it's a good morning too. Uh, I got to tell you, it's been a good week for me. It's been a busy week, but a good one. Uh, the highlight for me was our Wednesday night prayer meeting. I don't know who of you made it there or not. It was probably the best one we've had yet. We've been doing this for over a year, um, and it was awesome. And if I'm going to be honest with you uh, for just a moment here, prayer is getting kind of addictive for me, okay? It's been pretty crazy. Uh, We started planning this church just over a year ago. And the road has had everything from potholes that we've had to avoid to mountains that we've had to move. And every time we've encountered one, um, the first thing that we've done is just pray. God, we need you. And every time, I'm not kidding, every time God has answered those prayers. It's incredible. Quick rundown. We very first started and Doug and I got together. Man, we're going to see if anybody's interested in even planting a church in Council Bluffs. We might be the only two. Who knows? And so we just prayed, God, have people show up to this vision meeting that we're going to have, even if it's just for the burritos from Qdoba. We don't care what gets them here, but somebody show up. Over twice as many people as we expected came. Okay, it was God began to act even at the very beginning. After that, this core team started to grow and we said, all right, we're ready to start this thing, but we need a building, a place to gather and meet. And so we prayed, God, give us a building and one that a church plant can afford on a shoestring budget, right? And so we prayed this building fit the bill perfectly and the other interested party just exited negotiations. They couldn't make it work. So we didn't even have to go into a bidding war. God answered our prayer and we have a place to meet, right? Then we started praying, okay, we got this place to meet. We got a few people, but we got a bunch of empty chairs. So God, bring people who will fill these chairs and hear your word and love you more. God, give us people. And now every Sunday, the room is filled twice over. He's answered, well, at least when it's a Sunday that an ice storm is not slamming the city, right? Okay, we got to... Every Sunday, it's filled twice over. God's answered those prayers. And then most recently, we had one person come up and say, I want to be baptized. And so Doug and I were like, all right, let's do a baptism service. There was one person, and so we thought, we'll pray big things. God, give us four. Draw four people into the obedience to your word that would cause them to want to be baptized here in front of the church. And so we prayed, God, give us four. At our last baptism service, eight people gave their lives to Jesus. They made a statement that they were going to follow him with their lives. Eight people. We thought we were big asking for four. He doubled it. Time and time again, the list could go on and on. God has answered our prayers He's been good and generous to us from the beginning. And because that's who he was, we believe that's who he is and who he always will be. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to see how God's going to multiply disciples and churches in and through us in the coming year, right? Our prayer meeting, we just got to pray into that. We got to remember what he's done and we got to dream about what he's going to do. It was awesome. So if you've never got to come, you should come. They're the first Wednesday night of every month right here, 630. Join us. You will not regret it. All right. That's not even part of the sermon. 
I'm just preaching about prayer. We got to go. We got to get we got to get into this thing. Um, Today, we're going to continue talking about our core values as a church. Okay, the last couple weeks, um, we've talked about down. I should tell you our core values first. Right. Do you remember what they are? We use four simple directions. Okay, down starts it up in and out. Down is the gospel, the good news that Jesus came down to us. Um, We've talked about that the last couple weeks. In the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about the last two, in, community, family, and out, mission. We're sent people. Uh, But today, we're going to talk about up, and up, we say, is formation. If the gospel is the good news that Jesus came down to us, then up is the grace that we now get to look up to him unhindered. There are no barriers between us and God anymore. All of those were taken away in the gospel. And so when we hear and receive the gospel, we get to respond and allow that good news to shape us and form us, right? When we talk about up, what we mean is gospel formation. Okay, so as we dive into this, what is gospel formation? As we look at this today, I want to start with scripture. We're taking five weeks to talk about our core values. We're a church that values the Bible, and so we want to preach through the Bible. We've preached through uh, two of the 66 books. We've got a long way to go. We're not exiting now. We're We're talking about our core values. They come from scripture, okay? So I want to see this in the Bible. And so I'm going to read again the passage that Doug just read. It's short. Um, So I'm going to read the whole thing. As I do, I want you to look for our word, okay? If up is formation, we're going to look for that root word form in the scripture, okay? So watch for it as I read. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Formation, it's in there twice. He says, conformed and transformed, okay? The Apostle Paul, he was a missionary church planter, and he planted churches all over, and in one of them, uh, it was in the city of Rome, and this book of Romans is a letter that he wrote to that church, and in that letter, he's telling those people, and consequently us, something that we should do and something that we shouldn't do. Okay, we can see in here a command of what we ought not to pursue and what we ought to pursue. Okay, you saw it. He starts off by saying, don't be conformed to this world. Don't do that. Whatever that is, you don't want that. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. That's what we're looking for. The renewal of our minds. So from the outset, we see something that's pretty clear. It's hard to stay the same. We are either going to be conformed or we're going to be transformed. There's no third option. We, 
as a people, humans, we're more like a riverbed than a steel, a steel beam, right? A steel beam, it keeps its shape, it stays the same unless extreme forces act on it. Alternatively, a riverbed, it's constantly shaped by the currents that run through the river and the environment that changes around it. We are more like a riverbed than like a steel beam. We are a people who will be formed. We will be shaped. So let me tell you a story, give you an example of this. Um, When I got married, I had never had a cavity in my teeth, okay? This was kind of a miracle, really, because I uh, had never been very committed to good oral hygiene. Um, It's kind of who I am. I think in college, if I brushed my teeth every other day, I was on a good streak, okay? Don't judge me. Everybody's got their thing. You haven't even heard about my flossing habits yet, all right? Anyway, uh, not really committed to brushing my teeth, But I'd never had a cavity. My uh, heart began to get captivated by this girl named Sarah. And so I thought, uh, I really want her to like me. I ought to change my ways. And so I started brushing once a day. I thought, that's a good thing. Um, I should freshen my breath a little bit. And then uh, I proposed. And for some reason, despite my bad habits, she said yes. I got married. She explained to me after she realized my lifestyle, how gross I was. (laughs) And now I try to brush twice a day, okay? Um, So I'd never had a cavity when we got married. It was kind of miraculous. And uh, then I got a cold. I got this awful cold and I was coughing all the time. It was keeping me up at night. Um, I didn't know what to do. I found these red cough drops and I don't know what was in them. The red ones were the ones that worked. And I would take one of those, and it would just stop my coughing. And as soon as it was gone, I would start again. And so I loved these things. I was eating them like candy. And one night, I had one in my mouth, and I happened to fall asleep while I was in my mouth. And I slept through the night. It was awesome. And so I had this awful cold. It lasted a couple months. But just a couple weeks in, I found out if I sleep with a cough drop in my mouth, then I can sleep through the night. I thought it was a great idea, all right? I didn't tell anybody about this or consult. I just started putting a cough drop right between my gums and my cheek every night, and I would sleep through the night. Well, it seemed great at the time, but the next time I went to the dentist, I found out five cavities right where that cough drop had sat in my mouth. Um, Was not great news, I, I found out I don't like people drilling into my teeth, and I don't like pain when I eat ice cream, right? This formed me. The world around me shaped me. Now, I uh, pursue better oral hygiene than I did at least five times a week. I brush twice a day. <laughs> And I don't ever sleep with anything in my mouth because apparently that's not just bad for your teeth. It's a choking hazard. So kids, (laughs) don't do this at home, all right? I've been formed. The combined experience of a crush on a pretty girl and marriage and cavities, right? They shaped me. They changed my behavior. Now notice something about my story. I didn't set out 
to change my behavior. This was not intentional, as disgusting as it may have been. I was very happy living with all the extra bacteria in my mouth. What changed was my heart. As I began to, va- began to value the opinions of my future wife, my behavior started to change. The point I'm trying to make is values drive behavior, okay? Um, but in our, in our passage today, Paul wasn't talking about good oral hygiene, right? He, was, he wasn't talking about surface level behavior formation. He was talking about something deeper. He's talking about how our values are formed. And so from the outset, let me make one more observation. Paul did not say, uh, do not pursue conformity to the world. If he had said, don't pursue conformity to the world, then we could take from that, we shouldn't intentionally be conformed to the world. But he doesn't say that. What he says is, don't be conformed to this world. Don't, don't intentionally pursue it and don't passively allow it. Don't seek it out and don't let it happen. Here's the danger, the subtle danger that we can pick up on in Paul's language. Conformity to the world can happen passively, effortlessly, accidentally. We are like a riverbed that is formed by the currents. We sit in a world whose currents flow in us and through us and around us all the time. And if we're not aware of what's happening, we will be passively, accidentally conformed to the world. We're a people constantly undergoing formation. And Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. We're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to let it happen. And so I want to spend the rest of our time this morning on the alternative. If we're not supposed to allow that to happen, and if it will happen, whether we pursue it or not, what then are we to do? What's our recourse? What's our alternative? We can be conformed to this world or... Paul writes, we can be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Let me give you my punchline from the beginning so you can mull it while I'm talking, okay? Being transformed by the gospel is better than being conformed to the world. Being transformed by the gospel is better than being conformed to the world. And it's not just a little better, it's way better. There is no second place. There is no silver medal. It's not a close race. Being transformed by the gospel is far and away better than being conformed to the world. That's where we're going today, okay? Um, So let me try to convince you. The alternative to uh, to being conformed to this world is being transformed by the renewal of your mind. If we don't want to be conformed to the world, then our minds must be renewed so that we can be transformed. If we look at the Bible one more time, Paul says it very clearly. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Eric, you've said it six times in the last 10 seconds. What does it mean 
the renewal of your mind. What is that? Um, I like to let the Bible answer questions about itself as often as I can. All right, so let's look at another passage that talks about renewal of the mind. It's the same author, Paul, writing to a different church in Ephesus. This passage comes from the book of Ephesians. Let's read it together. The truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And here's our words. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we see formation happening. Put off your old self and deceitful desires. Put on your new self, righteousness and holiness. Something is changing. It's, it's taking shape. It's being formed. But in the middle, we see these same words, renewal of the mind, but here he mixes it up just a little bit. Did you catch it? Here we're told, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Paul's saying our minds are not just some sophisticated computer that processes data. Our minds have a spirit. They have values. They, um, well, let me give you an example. You've heard of the phrase, uh, the letter of the law and the spirit of the law, right? You know the difference? To follow the letter of the law, you do exactly what's written in the code. So if the sign says no parking, you don't park there. But the letter of the law has this interesting um, uh, impact on people like me. You think, well, it says don't park there. But if I leave my car there running in neutral and just pull the emergency brake, am I really parked? Is that parking? Right? The letter of the law, the letter of the law, you can find ways around it. It tries to codify something, but... It it says explicitly what is right and what is wrong. And so if you can find a way to get around that, maybe you're not breaking the letter of the law, right? But what was the spirit of that no parking sign? The spirit was don't leave your car here, right? The letter of the law said don't park, but the spirit of the law valued open space in that place. So the letter of the law, it tries to codify, to write out, to somehow explain in a commonly understandable, maybe enforceable way, the spirit of the law. When Paul says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds, he's saying our minds don't just have a letter, they have a spirit. We don't just process, we perceive. We don't just intake, we understand. Our minds have spirits. They have values. 
And so back to our question at hand, if we don't want to be conformed to this world and we want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, what is that thing? What do we do? Here's my definition. Renewal of the mind is inviting Jesus to form the spirit of our mind. Let me say it one more time. Renewal of the mind is succumbing to, is giving up control, is inviting Jesus to come in and form the spirit of our minds. We let him shape our values. When we say that our core value, one of our core values as a church is formation, what we don't mean is that you would come here and be formed into mechanical rule followers who obey every letter of some codified law. That is not what we mean. We want a different and deeper kind of formation. We're looking to have the spirit of our minds formed by the spirit of our God. Are you following me? This is what Jesus said. It's, it's so much deeper than how often you brush your teeth, right? It's so much deeper than a list of right and wrong. Here's what Jesus said. He said it, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus used a little different language to get at the same thing. He's telling us that what happens in our hearts determines what happens with our hands. In some way, the spirit of our minds interacts with the treasure of our hearts. They overlap and merge and mingle. They, they come together to form the values deep inside each of us. We choose to act or abstain based on our values. What we value inside eventually works its way out. Okay, this is important and it has meaning. I don't want you to miss this. Values drive behavior. We are not about simple surface level behavior change. It will not last. We are about seeing our inner values formed. Okay, values drive behavior. Let me give you some examples. Um, imagine a person looking at a tree, okay? A person looking at a tree. Now, that person might be an artist who values beauty. And so when that person looks at the tree, they see lines and colors and shapes coming together in a way that feeds this inner hunger to see beauty, to experience beauty in the world. And as they, uh, as they live out and engage with that value of their heart to see beauty, it might drive an action like taking a photograph or painting a picture or sculpting an object so that they can preserve and put on display and share that beauty with the world around them. Values drive behavior, right? Now imagine... Same person, same tree. But instead of an artist, this person is an entrepreneur who values 
starting new businesses and generating profits and creating jobs, building something from nothing, that person might look at that tree and instead of seeing beauty, they see opportunity. There's wood in that tree. We could cut down that tree and build something new. There's beauty in that tree. That tree might make this plot of land more valuable. If I built a house on this land with that tree in the backyard, a dad could build a tree fort for his kids who would love and have fun. We could increase the value of this property by building a house because of that tree and we can make some money. Maybe the tree bears fruit and that fruit could be used to start a business, a new venture. Instead of seeing beauty, the entrepreneur sees opportunity because they value that. And out of that value, that entrepreneur might start a new business, right? Okay, one more. Same person, same tree. Except this time, that person is a scientist who values knowledge and understanding. As they look at the tree, they start asking questions. What kind of tree is that? How does that tree sustain itself? What about the environment made it suitable for that tree to grow and flourish? If I alter the environment or the tree in some way, could I make that tree grow bigger or bear more fruit or change colors? I want to know more about the tree. And so valuing knowledge drives that person to research and study. Our values drive our behaviors. Do you see it? Do you believe it? Um, so where am I going with all this? Values drive behaviors. This is why when we talk about our core values, we don't say up, down, in, out. Have you ever noticed that? We may have corrected you. We try not to correct you. But we always say, when Doug and I say it, when we print it, it's down, up, in, and out. Down starts because we value the gospel. The gospel is what we want to form us. So when you start with the gospel and you say that is the centermost, the deepest value of ours, and then we value formation, we don't want to be left the same after we know the gospel, then we're saying we don't just want any kind of random formation, we want gospel formation. Why does it matter that values drive behaviors? It matters because the gospel is not a list of right and wrong. There isn't that. You can't find it in the Bible. The gospel is a different set of values. It changes the treasure of our hearts and the spirit of our minds. That's the formation that we want to see happen. So I want to give you a personal story. What does this look like? The rubber meets the road. Um, Before I planted this church, I had a good job. I managed an IT department in a nonprofit over in Omaha. Um, it was a good job that I didn't deserve, honestly. I, uh, I had taken one community college IT class while I was in high school, and that's all the training I had at all um, 
for a job managing an IT department. Not enough, okay? Um, so I had this good job managing this department, and uh, they wanted to give me more responsibility. I wasn't just going to manage projects. I was going to become the director of the whole department. I was going to oversee all of the interns, all of the programmers, and all of the system administrators. I didn't even know how all those people were different exactly, what they do and don't do, right? I'm barely qualified to sit in the room. And they're saying, now you're going to be the director. This is a good job. I should be celebrating that, right? But something inside me was not good. And this step I was taking was not having a good impact. You see, um, I was stressed out because what I wanted to do was plant a church, And I wasn't getting to do that. And every step that I was taking in my uh, IT career felt like a step away from planting the church. And something was growing in me, this um, idea that I should get to do what I want to do. I should get to do the things that I'm good at. And the problem was, Even though this was a really good job, it's not really what I wanted to do, and I wasn't really very good at it. I was learning on the fly. So I had this good job, but um, I started to get angry every time things went well, because it's not what I wanted to do, and I wasn't good at it, and I was stressed out. And so this anger at work um, started coming home with me. And I was short with my wife. I was yelling at my kids. Um, what, what happened was I started valuing what the world told me. I should get to do what I want to do. And when that didn't happen, I got angry. And all of my behavior was marked by that anger. So I was short with my wife. I yelled at my kids. I was not pleasant to be around. And I knew something was wrong but I couldn't put my finger on it. And so my wife, one night, we were watching um, some 90s sitcom because we like those. It's probably Everybody Loves Raymond or something like that. And afterwards, it'd been a good night. I was in a good mood, seemed like a safe opportunity. And so my wife sat me down and had a conversation. She said, Eric, you are not the man that I married. You're not the guy that I fell in love with. Um, You are very angry. It's starting to impact the way our kids interact with you. I feel like I have to walk on eggshells every time I talk with you because I don't know when you're going to be angry and when you're going to be happy. You're not the man that I fell in love with and I want the old you back. And it just crushed me because I knew what she was saying was right and I was already angry and that just made me more angry. What you don't love in me, I don't know how to do anything else but more of that. And I thought, I'm justifying this in my head. You don't understand anybody else in my situation that has to go to work every day and do something that they're not good at and they don't want to do. Anybody in that situation would be angry. When things change, my anger will change and I'll be happy. Don't you get it? Well, that conversation with Sarah broke me. Something in me started to change. I, I saw what I couldn't see before. And so uh, I just started to pray. I just asked Jesus, 
I don't know how to do this. I don't know what to do, but my anger is a problem. It's not who you created me to be. It's not who my wife needs me to be or my kids. Jesus, would you take it away? Whatever it takes. Um, As God's been faithful to answer our prayers, like I described at the beginning of this thing, he was faithful then too. Um, Shortly after that conversation with Sarah, I got the opportunity to go to Rwanda, Africa. Um, it It was really pretty amazing. I went with a group called Visiting Orphans. They were organized to help people live out James 127. It's another passage in the Bible that says this. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So I read that and I think, man, I've been stained by the world. I got all this anger in me. I want to let that go. If true religion is pure, pure religion before the Father is being unstained and visiting orphans, well, why don't I do that too? You know, let's just do it all. Go big or go home. So I went to Rwanda. And when I was there, I got to meet 125 or so orphans who had nothing and yet they were generous. Uh, This little girl, her most prized possession was an SD card case that she had found. There was no card. If there was, she had nothing to put it into. This little plastic SD card case, she carried it around all the time. She loved it. And before I left, she gave it to me and insisted that I take it. I throw those things away. She loved it. She had nothing, and she was generous. These kids had all kinds of problems, And yet they kept asking over and over again, Brother Eric, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for your family? And I was like, I need to pray for you guys. Your problems are worse than mine. Why would you want to pray for me? Time and time again, I saw in these kids something that I didn't have. They had every reason in the world to be angry. And I came home and I left them there. I went to work the next day and I realized I've got a good job that provides not just for all the needs of my family, but most of our wants. And I, I sit in a, an office that's cool when it's hot outside and warm when it's cold outside. They don't have any of that. In their poverty, they're generous. When they have nothing and I have everything, they have every reason to be angry. I have no reason to be angry. And yet I'm the one that can't get over it. And they're the ones showing me the gospel. When I prayed that God would take away my anger, what he didn't do was give me everything I wanted. He did not give me what the world promised me. He did not give me what I was pursuing in conformity to the world, a job that I was good at and wanted to do. What he gave me was a vision of himself. If I can satisfy those kids in Africa with nothing, if I'm enough for them, Eric, I'm enough for you. What he gave me was a bigger vision of what I had in him. And it set me free. When my values changed from wanting the things that I thought I deserved in the world to wanting the things that God wanted for me, that he'd already given me, everything began to change. I'm not saying that I'm not an angry man anymore. I got a hangover from that that I'm still processing. 
but it is changing by God's grace as he's changing the values in my heart. This is the good news. Doug summarized it last week. The gospel is this, that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect sinless life and died a sinner's death in my place. To say it another way, my sin killed Jesus. That does not sound like good news yet, but it's coming. God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Though my sin killed him, he did not stay dead. He rose again. He conquered sin. The sin that killed him, he overcame by rising from the grave. And that means if he could overcome it on that day, it's the same sin that he can overcome in me. When I value him more than I value the drivers of my sin, my values can be changed. Doug asked today, what pit are you in? Is it religion? Is it sin? Jesus died to set us free. Listen, I'm a charismatic with a seatbelt. Willie says, say, thank you, Jesus, praise the Lord. And I say, I'll lift my spirit before I lift my hands, right? Like I can come up with that kind of stuff. The reality is he is worth it all. Lift your spirit and your hands. He died to form our values that change our behaviors. The story started in the very beginning. Jacob was a thief who was transformed into the father of the 12 tribes, the nation of Israel. David was a murderer and an adulterer who was made king over his nation. He was transformed. Paul was a vicious, murderous persecutor of the church who was transformed into the greatest missionary church planner ever to live. That story that happened in this book is happening in this church. In this church, there are addicts who are being transformed into advocates. There are skeptics who are transforming into believers. There are convicts who are transforming into freedom of body and soul. There are angry husbands who are being transformed into loving fathers. The work is not done, but take hope. The work is happening. God promised that he would take people with a heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Paul said, we can put off the old self and put on the new self. God said, once we were not a people, we were far from him, but now we are a people for his own possession. We can be changed into his likeness. Do you want to be made new? Do you want to be transformed? Do you want to avoid being conformed to the world actively or passively? The answer is not to try harder. It's not to change the way that you behave. It's to set your eyes on Jesus and ask him, change me from the inside out. It's who he is. It's what he does. City Light, we believe that values drive behavior. It's so much more important. So we say that at the core of our values as a church, we value down. We value the gospel. We value the king who makes all of this possible. And we value formation. We call it up. He will make us like him.